0: Good morning, church. Good morning. I am Andrea. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to be with you this morning. Um, I want to let you know real quick as we get started, we're going to be having a night of praise this Friday. We're going to be joining together on Zoom to worship together. It's on Friday at 730, and you can register using the link's in the chats. We're going to send that out in the scoop as well this week. We're going to be streaming from the office. Some of the band is going to be here in person leading our songs. So please join us on Zoom. I know it's still not the way that we want to be together completely, but I'm still really grateful and and really looking forward to being together in the ways that we can be together. Um, So I hope that you can join us. So I just wanted to let you know about that. This week, I'm excited to be starting a new sermon series. It's going to take us through the months of May and June, and we're going to be walking through the New Testament book of Galatians, which is a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to a community of early churches. Now, we've preached pieces of this letter before, but we're excited to be walking through the whole thing over these next few weeks. We're calling this series be free. And we're going to be centering in on a theme of gospel freedom and what that might mean for us. Our anchoring verse for the series is from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And we're going to be asking questions of ourselves and community together like, What are the things that keep us from freedom? And in what ways do we choose to be bound rather than to be free? And what does a life of freedom look like for each of us as individuals and for us as a church in our particular social locations? I don't know exactly what these next few weeks hold, but I'm eager to do this very sacred thing that we do to get into scripture together and testify that it's active and living and that it holds wait for us. So as we get started this week, I just want to remind us that whenever we read the Bible, it's really important to remember that there's a contextual gap between us and both the author and the original audience of whoever they were writing to. So reading scripture point blank, like as if it's written for us today, exactly can get confusing and reading that way is incomplete. Scripture comes with a context, just like it's important to walk with other people in life and in faith and in discernment, in developing theology and our understanding of God, reading scripture in community is necessary. We all bring ourselves to the scripture just as scripture brings its context to us, and reading scripture itself, like reading a letter like Galatians, is another act of understanding God and the gospel with other people in a larger community, even though we're separated by a couple thousand years. So, as we get started this week in Paul's letter to the Galatians, it's going to be helpful to know a little bit of background, both of Paul and the early church and this particular group of people that Paul is writing to living in an area referred to as Galatia. So this particular letter was probably written around 40 to 50 AD. It's one of Paul's earliest letters to some of the earliest Christian churches. And this letter would have been written before Luke and Acts. So it's one of the earliest historical documents relating to this brand new fledgling church. The region of Galatia would have been in what is modern-day Turkey. Here is a map for you. Um, And we don't know a ton about the exact communities Paul was writing to. But it's likely that the letter was for a cluster of young churches in South Galatia. So right there, just north of the Mediterranean Sea. Even though we don't know the exact context of the people in this region, We do know a couple things. We know that they were a colonized people living in the imperial context of the Roman empire and the reality of empire is consistently present throughout Paul's letter and most of Paul's letters. And it's important to remember how significant that this context would have been for those that were hearing this, these words for the first time and their understanding about something like freedom and deliverance. The other thing that i'll mention this morning just to keep in mind is that paul's letters were just that they were letters so with a few exceptions most of paul's letters were like written on the fly um, specifically sent to address an immediate and very specific situation and it's easy to forget that and take take paul's words as like an academic exercise or like prepared theological essays These letters are human documents written by a friend to his friends, and letters in the Greco-Roman period would have had like a, a standard template, which Paul follows for the most part in all of his letters. And Paul would have likely been dictating his letters to a scribe or a secretary, which was commonplace in that time, and in some cases, scribes even helped compose a letter stylistically, Now, all of this doesn't mean that scripture carries less authority, but knowing the context in which Paul wrote and the Galatians received is a part of faithfully reading scripture and minding that gap between our context and the context of scripture. And there's a lot more, of course, that I could say about that than we have time for this morning. If you have more questions about the Bible, I will direct you to our Bible seminar happening on Tuesday evenings. That's another plug there for you. So all that said, here is where we are. Here is where we've come to as we begin reading Paul's letter to the Galatians. So we're going to start in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So as I mentioned before, Paul is usually addressing a particular issue in his letters and the particular issue we'll see Paul addressing in Galatians is false teaching. So these churches, they're brand new. They're all trying to figure out what it means to be Christians. Someone has come into this group of churches in the region of Galatia and they've begun preaching a different gospel. Now, we're going to hear more about the details of that in the coming weeks of the series, but know that this is the occasion for which Paul writes. He opens his letter clearly and firmly. There is no other gospel. And he spells this out really clearly in verses 3 and 4 when he writes grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present age, according to the will of God, of our God and Father. So in the greeting, which is like the first part of the letter, Paul sets up this premise by which the rest of the letter is founded. Through the will and desire of God, Jesus was commissioned or sent to the world in order to make it the kind of place where life can thrive and flourish The result of Jesus' death and resurrection is that the powers that have dominated human beings like sin and evil and the principalities that bind humanity, they have come to the end of their term. Jesus has liberated us from those powers and has inaugurated a new era of freedom. Jesus gave himself for our sins to set us free. The Greek word that's translated here as set us free can also be translated as rescue or deliver. Jesus became one of us so that we might become like him, able to live abundantly, free from the things that try to bind us and from the ways in which we try to bind ourselves from the powers of this present evil age. And I don't, I don't think I have to over-elaborate about the evil age that we're in. I know that you can see, we can see very clearly the inequity around us. We can see how wealth and race and class work together to determine the quality of life for people. And for some, even the very chance to have life. We can see the ways in which humanity has ordered itself to be okay with sacrificing human life and the good of creation for the money market, where some lives are dispensable for the sake of a sense of security for some, but not all. And we can feel the pull of false gospels where what you own, who you know, what you do determines your freedom. One commentary I read this week described this evil age as the way we have organized our life on earth that distorts God's intention for creation. This is the present age. And yet, like the Galatians, we are called to freedom. Our anchor verse for this series is Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. God and Jesus has proven to be committed to bringing liberation and transformation into the world and humanity, even in spaces where it seems like there is no way forward. Remember the context of the Galatians under Roman rule, a colony under Roman imperial power in which anyone who came up against that power would be brutally executed. This is a reminder for the Galatians that even in something as dehumanizing and horrific as crucifixion, God longs and has determined to bring liberation and transformation. The gospel is that we have been set free from the ways in which this present age determines to bind us. There is one gospel and it is the gospel of freedom. So you might not know this, but during quarantine last year, uh, my family decided to adopt a rescue dog. Now, I've held out for almost 15 years on getting a dog, but quarantine did it. I don't know, something broke. She's just the cutest and best little dog ever. Uh, This is Lucy. She's a three-year-old cattle dog mix from Louisiana. She's really smart. She loves to hunt. Uh, She traumatized our whole family by catching a squirrel on the sidewalk the other day. Um, she's still wary of other people outside of her trust zone, very loyal. We don't know a lot about Lucy's past, like if she was a street dog or like was somebody's pet, but it seems clear from her behavior that she was probably mistreated at some point. So she traveled from the South to the rescue, lived there for at least three months and had a litter of puppies before she came to us. When we first got Lucy, we were all really excited. I was really excited. Um, And bought her a whole bunch of stuff, like a couple of fluffy beds, more than one, and uh, toys. She also has a crate, like a lot of dogs do. And I noticed that in the first few weeks that Lucy was with us, that she would sometimes get in the crate and just stay there if she was scared, like overwhelmed. And that's not necessarily bad, but there were times she wouldn't come out like not even for treats. And it makes sense in a lot of ways though. She had become used to being in captivity. For many months, she ate, drank, slept within the confines of a very small space. She traveled in a crate. She gave birth in a confined space and she just hadn't known anything different. And like most people who adopt rescues, we've been trying to teach Lucy that there is a different, better way to live that her life can be different, that she can choose to come out of confinement and just be a dog. And slowly we're watching her change as she comes to that realization that there is a new way, a different, a better way to be a dog. And it's been really, really rewarding. Now, obviously this analogy only goes so far. She's a dog, but I thought a lot about Lucy when I was writing this sermon. Um, I felt the frustration when Lucy reverts back to her little captive self, when she like cowers in a corner or won't come out. And I can hear that in Paul's writing when he expresses his astonishment that the Galatians are so quick to go back, to grab onto something that will bind them again to a counterfeit gospel. He writes, there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, the Greek word translated as pervert here can also be translated as disguise or distort. Friends, not everything that passes for the gospel is in fact the good news of Christ. Mm -hmm. The gospel can be misrepresented, even in the slightest of ways, and lose its liberating nature. Like when something is added to the gospel, like in Galatians, the law, which we're gonna talk about in this series, or when we make it the gospel plus works, it becomes distorted, not completely different. In fact, in some ways it still looks like the gospel, but it's not. Today, the kinds of things that we see like this are the gospel plus capitalism, or the gospel plus nationalism, the gospel plus celebrity or materialism, and it's counterfeit. And it's the same way when something is taken away from the gospel, close, but distorted like the gospel minus restorative justice or the gospel minus repentance or the gospel minus liberation for all. There is one gospel. There is not another. And Paul writes that anyone who proclaims something different should be accursed. They should be subject to the judgment of the Lord. And it's right for us to ask ourselves and our community, what are the counterfeit gospels we're at risk to fall prey to? What are we tempted to add or take away to the gospel in order to make it more palatable for ourselves or to make it more difficult for somebody else? Is the gospel we proclaim founded and rooted in liberation for all, in freedom? Does it stand in resistance to this present evil age? And what does this gospel bind us to? In verse 10, Paul writes that the one thing he's still bound to, he writes that he is a servant or a slave of Christ, and in the gospel, we trade our bondedness to the present age to be bound to Christ. But in being bound to Christ, we're truly free. So does the gospel we proclaim bind us to anything other than Christ? Does this gospel lead to freedom and transformation? How do we know the gospel we proclaim is true? We know by its transformative power. We'll talk about the fruits of the spirit in a few weeks, the the marks by which it's clear that someone is walking in gospel freedom. In this chapter, though, after he has made it clear that there's no other gospel, Paul uses his own life to testify to it. This is verse 13, and I'm going to read this whole section of Paul's testimony, whole thing. You have heard no doubt of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God who had set me apart before I was born and called me through grace was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me, but I went away at once into Arabia and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him 15 days, but I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, the one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. Paul writes his testimony of transformation. He offers it to the Galatians as one who bears witness to the transforming, the freeing, the good news gospel. Paul's gospel life is marked by transformation, from persecuting to proclaiming, from advocating for a way of violence to advocating for liberation for all. We are called to freedom. There is no other gospel. And church, as we begin this series in Galatians together, I want to follow in Paul's footsteps this morning. I want you to hear clearly, church. I want to proclaim to you that there is no other gospel than the liberating work of Christ done through the desire and the plan of God, that we are set free from the things that seek to bind us. I want to warn you that there are counterfeit gospels and that there are people who have a deep interest in spreading them. And I want to exhort us as a community to be alert and to be honest and to weed those false gospels out. And I want to remind you that we hold the responsibility of bearing witness to the transformative power of the gospel to one another in community. When we give testimony, when we pray together when we are active gospel agents in the transformation of one another, we are reminding each other of the freedom to which we are called. When I am tempted to look for my freedom in the power of money or wealth or privilege, when I think my freedom is determined by my proximity to whiteness or to my degree or even to a specific Doctrine, when I'm ready to take the easier road to a counterfeit freedom of, like, cheap grace, where you can have reconciliation without repentance and you can have peace without justice, when I do that, you bear the responsibility to remind me of the freedom to which I have been called. This is what our task is. This is our calling to each other and to the world. So as I close today, I want to read one more time Paul's written greeting in Galatians. And I want to read this just as a reminder of our call to be free. There is no other gospel. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of God our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.